Well, thank you for being here today. Today you have a uh, incredible privilege. You're going to hear a dear friend of mine. His name is Emil Zwayne. Let me tell you just a little bit about him. He goes by EZ, if you want to call him that as uh, you greet him on the way out. But EZ grew up as an immigrant from Lebanon, and uh, he had a rough start. He grew up in life on the streets of L.A. He became a member of the Crips and was a gang member, and God radically saved him. He has an amazing, amazing story, and God transformed his life, and now God's using him as an evangelist around the world. He travels to churches like ours to help them get a passion for the the mission, the glorious calling that we've been given in Christ Jesus. Amen? And so that's why he's here today. He's going to preach uh, that mission and tell us about that mission. Today he serves as the president of Living Waters Ministry. He is also the spokesman and co-host of the, uh, the Bible Bee game show. As l- also, he's, uh, if you've ever watched Christian television, The Way of the Master with Ray Comfort. He's the executive producer of all of those films. Maybe you saw the 180 video that was a while back. That was, that was his ministry. And uh, just a wonderful, wonderful ministry. Best of all, he is, he is a pastor and a, a family man. He has a wonderful wife named Rachel, who uh, friends with our family, and five children who I love dearly. I love all of his kids. And uh, he's here today with Kylie, who's in our children's ministry. And so, Easy has, has been a dear friend of mine, counselor, friend, uh, partner in ministry, and I'm just so excited that he gets to stand in this pulpit and preach the gospel. So, treat him well. Laugh at all his jokes. Amen? <laughs> all right. Take care of him. Easy, you come share the word. Let's welcome him this morning. Love you, brother. Wow. After that amazing introduction, I cannot wait to hear myself speak. (laughs) Thank you so much, Matt, for those kind words, and thank you all for that very, very warm welcome. And speaking of warmth, I bring you very, very, very warm greetings from sunny Southern California. And I bring you greetings as well from Ray Comfort, as Matt shared. Some of you are familiar with Ray, but many of you may not know that Ray is actually my father-in-law. And the interesting thing is that Ray is of Jewish descent, and I am of Arab descent. And together, we are the solution to the Mideast crisis. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) Well, I I feel a kinship with you all here this morning already, even though I've never met you. And the reason why I sense that deep kinship is because we share two very special common bonds together. The first one, of course, is Christ, and the second is our brother, Pastor Matt Shackelford. Uh, My family had the privilege of coming to know Matt back when he was a part of Kindred Community Church. Both he and my family had started at the church at the same time. For a number of reasons, we're a bit leery about youth groups. As he said, we have five children, and so we hadn't put our children in the youth group. Uh, And then Matt came around, and we got to get to know him, and that changed our perspective very, very quickly. He is uh, one of the most uh, humble, godly men I know. He's a man of integrity. Uh, He's a man of impeccable, upstanding character. I've known him for 10 years, got to uh, minister alongside him at Kindred, and then when he was in Ohio, he had me out there to speak, and I've seen the common thread of his life, and that is a love for the Lord, a love for his family, a love for God, a love for God's people. And years ago, I dubbed an accolade, which I call the E-factor, 
and it stands for exceeding expectations with extreme excellence in everything. There are very few people I can uh, assign or award that attribute to or that accolade to, but Matt is definitely one of those people, and it's an honor to be here uh, and to see what God's going to do in and through him and his family here, and it was extremely kind of Matt to give me the privilege to speak to you all this morning. There was actually another speaker who was originally slated to be here, but as soon as Matt found out I was available, he quickly canceled John MacArthur. So thank you, brother Matt. And aren't you glad, right? Aren't you glad? You know, I know that all of you are very keenly aware of the fact that we are living in a time where people are radically and almost passionately consumed with the theme of purpose. Purpose seems to be all the rage these days. In fact, if you were to do a Google search on what perhaps are some of the biggest buzzwords of the 21st century, I wouldn't be surprised if you were to find the word purpose very close to the top of the list. Purpose, purpose, purpose. Everybody wants to know what their purpose is. And you're hard-pressed to watch a movie or a television program or to listen to the radio or to read a book or to hear even a sermon that doesn't, to one degree or another, incorporate the theme of purpose. But unfortunately, the tragedy is that even though there are probably more answers to the question, what is the purpose of man, than there are people even asking that question, sadly, most of the answers have nothing to do with the true purpose of man that has been given by the designer of man's purpose, God Almighty. And so this morning, I want us to take a look together at what the purpose of man is, the true purpose of man is in accordance with God's definition that He's given us in His Word. But before we do that, and before we explore one specific aspect of that grand purpose of man, I want to assure you of one thing, my brothers and sisters, and it is this. It's that the purpose of man is extremely, extremely simple. There's nothing difficult. There's nothing complex. There's nothing complicated about it. It's very, very, very simple. And I want you to note it well. Here it is. The purpose of man is to know his maker, be known by his maker, and make his maker known so that others may know his maker as their maker, be known by his maker as their maker, and make the maker of him who made his maker known to them as their maker known as the maker of others. So that others may know the maker of him who made his maker known as the maker of the ones who made the maker of the one who made his maker known to them as their maker, known as their maker, as their maker, and that they may also make him known to others who will in turn know him, be known by him, and in multiplicity to the degree of infinitude, make him known. Simple. (laughs) And in reality, it is simple, but as you just saw from that very pathetic and ridiculous illustration, we as people have a way of complicating the simple. But no, it's true. That simple purpose of man is that man would know his maker, be known by his maker, and make his maker known. Now, we as Christians have absolutely no problem with the first two parts of that purpose statement. We have no problem with saying that we know the true and living God, that we know the one who spoke and the universe leapt into existence. We know the one who created every galaxy and every star and flung them into their orbit. We know the one who, who crafted every grain of sand that adorns every seashore and every landscape of every desert, the, the one who, who crafted every snowflake that's ever fallen upon every mountaintop. We know him. 
We know the one who dwells in unapproachable light, the one who is, who is a consuming fire, the one before whom seraphim fly and cover their eyes and feet and cry, holy, holy, holy. We know him. It's an exciting thing to say. And by the same token, we have no problem with the second part of that purpose statement. Not only do we know him, but he knows us. He knows us by name. In fact, he knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows our sitting down and our uprising. He knows the number of hairs upon our head. And we will never, ever hear him say those dreaded words in Matthew 7, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. We know him now. He knows us now. And he knows us eternally. No problem with those first two parts of that purpose statement. But it's the third part, brothers and sisters, that we have a hard time with, isn't it? That third part, not only knowing our maker and being known by our maker, but making our maker known. Even hearing that maybe makes you swallow hard, makes your palms sweat, makes you want to go almost into a panic attack. And I think if most of us we're honest with ourselves. We'd say it's difficult. I mean, let me ask you honestly. How many of you here this morning, when you think in your mind about walking up to a perfect stranger or to a family member, which is even worse for some of us, and telling them that they violated the law of a holy God, that there's a coming day of judgment, that they'll have to give account for their every deed, and if they don't repent and place their faith in the death and resurrection of that loving, gracious, merciful God, they will face His wrath and judgment in hell for all eternity. When you think of that, how many of you feel a twinge of nervousness? Raise your hands. The rest of you, you know what the Bible says about liars. <laughs> but yes, I raise my hand with you. I can relate to that. Ray Comfort, who has preached the gospel to just about everything that breathes on earth, experiences that. Greg Sukert, Pastor Matt, the greatest evangelists of all time can relate to that because the enemy of our soul does not want the gospel getting out. Who here would not rather be a part of a Bible study or listen to a sermon or be a part of a men's group or a women's group or go on a, to a conference or on a retreat or go to a Christian concert and raise our hands and sing and worship. All of us would much rather do all of that than to actually go up to strangers and share the gospel with them. And yet, brothers and sisters, why is it that we're able to participate in any of those spiritual activities? Is it not because there came a time when someone cared enough to not only be content with knowing God and being known by God, but by making God known to us? And we heard the gospel, and it transformed our lives. Well, that is our calling as God's people. And I know, I know it's nerve-wracking. I, I, I've seen the, the, the most manly of men tremble at the thought of sharing the gospel. I knew one man in particular. He was a police officer, and he used to say he would much rather face two thugs in an alleyway with guns pointed at his head than to share the gospel with a little old lady. And this man was manly. I mean, his voice, woo! I mean, we're, we're convinced most of, the, most of the earthquakes in California were caused by his voice. Big, manly mustache. It was so big it had its own zip code, right? And this man said he was terrified. And so I want you to know that you're not alone this morning. But a question does arise for us. And that question is, is are we willing to be a people who truly fulfill their purpose in accordance with God's design and God's calling? And evangelism is perhaps the most important topic to be addressed today because the church will not be all that it can be 
if it's not fulfilling one of its main functions on the earth. We need to recognize that we were created to glorify God and to bring Him pleasure through obedience. There's that dirty word in evangelical Christianity today, obedience. But oh, what a glorious word it is because we get to obey the God who loves us, who created us, designed us to function in a certain way, and then who redeemed us. And I pray that our hearts, when we hear that word, will fall in line with what it says in 1 John. And this is love, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. But we are eager to, to yield our lives and surrender our lives to Him. And so to that, and viewing man's purpose as it relates to not only knowing Him and being known by Him, but making Him known, we'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll hear what the Apostle Paul has to say in that regard. And I'm sorry, I'm going to keep drinking from time to time. I have a tadpole in my throat that's trying to evolve into a frog, so I got to drown it once in a while. <laughs> Some allergies out here, I think. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God." One of my favorite life dynamics in the entire universe is something called paradigm shift. Paradigm shift is indicative of someone having had a certain outlook or perspective on something, and then they later receive new information that completely changes that outlook or perspective. A good friend of our ministry told us a story about his brother who back in 2012 was living in Utah. When one day a group of masked men grabbed him and took him and pushed him into the back room of a building, they knocked him out, they plunged a knife into his chest, ripped his chest open, and tore out his heart. And the tragedy is that there were people outside that room who knew what was going on, could have gone in there and stopped it, and did absolutely nothing about it. Let me give you a little more information. That group of masked men were heart surgeons. The masks were surgical masks. They pushed him on a gurney into the back room of a building, which was the operating room of a hospital. They knocked him out with anesthesia. The knife was a scalpel, and they plunged it into his chest, opened it, and took out his heart because his heart was bad and needed surgery. You, my friends, have just experienced mass paradigm shift. What was at one moment in your minds a gruesome murder scene, in one instant with a few words, suddenly became a life-saving operation. And I believe that this passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is a paradigm shift type passage when it comes to the fulfillment, the full fulfillment of our purpose as God's people. Because a lot of us have a specific perspective on who we are as Christians and what we're supposed to be doing as Christians and how we're supposed to be living. And I believe that God's Word is about to revolutionize that through a major paradigm shift. Paul begins in verse 9 to give us context by saying, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul begins by saying that our aim as Christians 
Our ambition as Christians, the very heartbeat to our lives as disciples of Jesus should be, whether we are absent or present, meaning whether we're with the Lord in eternity or we're not, that we live for the purpose of doing all that we do to please Him. To please Him. How often do we wake up in the morning and say, Lord, how can I please You today? How can I bring You honor and glory through everything that I do you know, a number of years ago, I called my family together and brought them into our living room, and I unveiled for them the Zwayne family vision statement, and it reads like this, to gladly and passionately glorify God in every thought, affection, word, and deed, while constantly enjoying Him as our greatest pleasure and most pleasant treasure. And the thing is, is that I've memorized that, my wife has memorized that, our children have memorized that, it's become the popular theme of discussion. It's become the popular foundation for our family devotions because if there's anything I want my children to know and their children to know and their children's children to know, it's that they were made by God and for God and that their calling in life is to live for His glory as they bring His heart pleasure. Is that your heart's passion, that in everything you say, think, do, and feel, even if it conflicts with what you want, you're willing to do, brothers and sisters? Because see, sometimes we think we have it all figured out. We think we know this is the way it is. This is how it's got to be. Remember years ago, our daughter Julia, who was about uh, two years, a year and a half to two years at the time, we were driving through town. She was just learning the alphabet. Suddenly, she got an epiphany in the back seat of our minivan. She goes, Mom, Mom, Dad, Dad, Jesus. You spelled Jesus with a G. Jesus. And we thought, oh, that's so adorable, right? I mean, you know, she's making connections. It's actually quite brilliant for that age. We go, honey, that's so great, but you know, actually you spell Jesus with a G. No, 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 mom, dad, listen, Jesus. You spell Jesus with a G. I might say J. And, and we go, honey, that's so great, but you really have to listen to mom and dad. We, we know a little better than you. And then we hear that dreaded silence followed by, ah, sweetheart, what's the matter? You and mom don't know how to spell. <laughs> She's 23 now and not much has changed. <laughs> but brothers and sisters, you can relate to that, I'm sure. No, it's got to be this way. Come on, Jesus, Gigi, of course, of course. No, my life is this and this is how God calls me to live. And that's what I'm supposed to do. We don't want to find ourselves arguing with the authority. We are called to live to bring Him pleasure with every part of our being. And He says this is in light of the fact that we're going to all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, there's coming a day when we're going to stand before the Lord and give account for how we handled the life that He entrusted into our care. It's not something we think about much. Paul here isn't thankfully talking about the great white throne of judgment where God will dispense condemnation to those who didn't repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ, but this is called the Bema seat. It's that judgment seat of Christ where God will call us to account for the way that we lived and how faithful we were with what He called us to do. It is there that the Bible teaches God will dispense rewards and where there will be experienced a loss of reward. And the question is, is are we living with that day in mind, with a desire and a passion to live for the honor of Him who gave us life? Not, oh, I got, I'm going to give account for God. Boy, I, I'm not excited about that. We need to be excited because we need to look and say, Lord, I get to live for You. I was lost and blind and dead, and, and you saved me, and I get to do that? And when we get there on that day, we don't want to get there with regret. Brothers and sisters, listen, life is quick. That may seem like such a faraway thing, but listen, 
Our life is but a vapor, the Bible tells us. It's like hot breath on cold air. We see it, and then it vanishes away. This coming January, we will celebrate my father's, my biological father's 110th birthday. I'm 83, but plastic surgery works wonders. My father, yes, he's going to be 110, and, you know, I'm actually 45. He was about 65 when I was born. And I know that that seems like such a long time, but I assure you that to him, it's been but a breath. It's been the blink of an eye. And before we know it, we will be standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And we, when we are there on that day, we don't want to be a people who look back and say, I wish I would have done the right thing. We want to be able to say, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. You've seen those what would you do episodes on TV where they set up some social scenario and they have hidden cameras and there's someone being bullied or mistreated or some racism is going on and People have no idea that these are actors that are interacting in this way, and then some will intervene and say something and stop what's happening, and others will look away and turn a blind eye. And inevitably, John Kenyonis and his crew will come out, and they'll come up to the people and tell them they're on camera. And more often than not, the people who did the right thing will look into the camera, and they'll say in so many words, I'm glad I did, but the people who didn't will look at the camera and say, I wish I would have. We don't want that to be us, friends, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We want to live for the pleasure of God in everything we do, because I'll tell you this, the things that we're not cool to have done in the eyes of man on this earth will be the coolest things to have done when we finally stand before the Lord and give account. Amen. We want to live that way with our eye on Christ, recognizing that we're called to bring Him glory in everything that we do. And then Paul gives us the basis for that. In verse 15, he says, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Paul is saying, listen, this call to live in such a way that you bring God's heart pleasure in all that you do is not without foundation. You do it. Why? Because He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, for their own pleasures, but for Him. He paid the highest price in the history of the universe when He purchased your soul. Not with gold and silver and perishable things like Peter tells us, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. How much do we value the sacrifice of Christ that the God of the universe came down and became an itty-bitty man and then was spat upon, was ridiculed, was blasphemed by the vocal cords He created, was nailed to wood along with, with railroad-type stakes that He fashioned and formed in the elements of the earth, and He gave His life to redeem us. How much do we value that? Paul Tripp very famously said that Value impacts behavior. You don't treat a $100 bill the way you treat a penny. Why? Because you understand the value that the United States government, which is a valid organization in your mind, has attributed to each of them. And so you, you don't, you don't uh, walk by a penny when you see it on the ground or, or a $100 bill when you see it on the ground like you would a penny. But if the values were switched, you could bet you would, you would never pick up a $100 bill or you'd use it as a scrap piece of paper to wipe your hands with right? Because of the value that you understand is attributed to it. And friends, do you value the cross? Do you value that He died for all? Do you understand what Christ endured to redeem you and make you His? How much we value that will be evidenced by the way we live in light of that. And then as Paul begins to crescendo in verse 17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We often hear this verse quoted, 
We see it written on athletes' shoes or, or on their uniforms, or we might see it in the homes of our friends on Christian artwork. But do we understand its context? It's in light of what Paul has been saying here, that he died for all, that we don't live for ourselves anymore, that, that our aim is now to live so that we could please him in, in view of the coming day when we'll stand before his judgment seat. Because of that, listen, you're a new creation. Those old things, that selfish, self-centered life has passed away. All things have become new. And then we find here the words of our text, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In view of all of this, now Paul's an apostle speaking about his apostolic authority in connection with who we are as those under that apostolic authority called to fulfill the great call that God had given the apostles, which is what? The great commission. By the way, as someone reminded me this morning, not the great suggestion, the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, Paul makes it very clear to us here that God has given us something in particular and he's called us something very specific. And this is where the first paradigm shift comes in. And it's this. Brothers and sisters, if you're in here this morning and you call yourself by the name of Christ, you identify as a Christian, then you are this morning 100% in full-time ministry. And God has given you a specific role and title, and that is an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute, preacher. <laughs> Hold on a minute here. I just, I'm an innocent bystander. I came in here. I just want to hear church. I mean, right? Leave me alone. Matt, where'd you get this squeaky-voiced Arab guy, right? Get him out of here. But friends, whether we like it or not, whether we want it or not, this is non-negotiable. This is what we are. In fact, you're as much an ambassador of Jesus Christ with the ministry of reconciliation as you are a human being if you were born to a human father and mother. And I'm hoping that's almost all of you in here <laughs> this morning. You have human DNA. It doesn't matter. Some people don't want to identify as human, believe it or not. There, there's this one guy, he tattooed himself up like a tiger. He got fangs put in. He got whiskers. Another guy like a leopard. One guy wants to be an alien. He, he reconfigured his whole face and his eyes. It doesn't really matter what you want or what you desire. You are a human being. And we never say, oh, um, is that person a human being or not? The question is always, what kind of human being are they? In fact, people will use that sometimes as, uh, to reprimand someone. What kind of human being are you, right? Brothers and sisters, the question is not whether or not we are ambassadors for Christ this morning. The question is, what kind of ambassadors are we? Are we faithfully fulfilling our calling to represent Christ who reconciled us to himself and made us his? Or are we derelict of our duty and not fulfilling what God has called us to do? And you know what I love about the Lord is he never calls us to something that he never gives us the ability to do and equips us to do. One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 2, or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love the word prepared, especially when it's coupled with the word beforehand, and especially when those two words are combined with the word food. Oh, how I love it. I grew up in a Middle Eastern home, as you heard, and 
Arab mothers uh, pretty much almost spoiled their kids to death. And my mom did everything for us, especially cook for us. And I didn't know how to do anything related to food. Neither did my brother, who still lived at home in his 20s and was very wealthy, was very successful, owned businesses and properties. And, but as was tradition, he still lived at home. And my mom saw that with him and thought, you know what, this isn't good. And she's, I'd come home from school, ask her to make me a sandwich. And she'd say, you need to make your own sandwich. You've got to learn how to do this. You're going to end up growing up, getting married, and marrying a woman who's never going to take care of you and feed you the way that I do. She was wrong, as you can tell. I'm so blessed that my wife, Rachel, loves to feed me but, and prepare my food beforehand. But I remember a number of years ago, we heard about this restaurant in our area called The Melting Pot. I heard you have those out here as well. And I heard about this amazing chocolate fondue that they have. And I'm a chocoholic, so I got real excited. I said, honey, make some reservations. We've got to go to this place. So we go and we order, and I'm sitting there, man. I'm dreaming about this fondue, and you get to dip, you know, apples and, and marshmallows and, and bananas in it. And so we order, and, you know, come to find, believe it or not, you could actually order food at this restaurant as well. So we order our dinner, we order the, the dessert, and we're sitting there, and my wife's talking to me, and I'm, I, all I'm hearing is wah, wah, wah. All I'm thinking about is this chocolate, right? Then before we know it, they come out and they have these uh, bowls of raw chicken, raw meat, raw vegetables. And I'm looking at the guy, I'm like, huh? And I could tell he's seen that look on the men of, faces of many men before. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, you actually cook your own food here. I almost ran outside to see if it said restaurant on the outside of the building. Isn't the whole reason of coming to a restaurant, isn't that so that you don't have to cook your own food? I'm thinking of the, you know, maniacal genius in the back rubbing his hands. Ha, ha, ha. You know, bring them here, make them cook their own food, charge them twice as much. Whoa, you know, I'm waiting for someone after the meal to take me in the back to do my own dishes, you know. But brothers and sisters, I say all that to say, God prepares our good evangelistic works beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you think that God is going to call you to go out and try to somehow orchestrate your own good works of evangelism and dealing with the most important thing in the world, the souls of men and women? Of course not. He prepares those works beforehand, and that is such good news for us. Here's where the second paradigm shift comes in. Second Timothy 2, 20 through 21, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful for the master, listen, prepared for every good work. When I got a hold of this principle, it revolutionized my understanding of my calling and fulfilling my purpose and not only knowing God and being known by God, but making Him known. Listen, tells us in Ephesians that our good works of evangelism are prepared for us beforehand. And then Paul says here in Timothy, if we walk in uprightness, cleanse ourselves from the latter iniquity in the context, we will be vessels of honor, useful, prepared for the master, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And what I began to realize is that means that as I live my life and I walk down the path of life alongside the path of life, there are all these nicely, neatly prepackaged good works of evangelism through which I can make my maker known. And if I'm walking intimately with the Lord and uprightly, I'm prepared for every one of those good works. Those good works are prepared for me. I'm prepared for them. And what happens is this, they come together in this perfect point in time and space in what I call the divine convergence. 
and this beautiful, amazing, indescribable confluence comes together, and God is so radically glorified through it. And if you want to know adventure and excitement and bliss as a believer, enter into that divine convergence of God using you in the life of a lost soul. It's one of the most amazing and beautiful things in existence. And brothers and sisters, I pray that we will exemplify the life of the leper, the leper in Mark chapter 1, who was touched and healed by Jesus of an indescribable disease that rendered him basically like the living dead. He was cast out of society, couldn't have any interaction with his family, friends, lived in a leper colony waiting to die. And Jesus touches him, heals him in an instant, and then he looks at him and he says, but don't tell anyone about what I just did for you. (laughs) Every time I hear that or think about it, it makes me want to laugh don't tell anyone about how you just saved my life and transformed me and gave me new baby skin and and a new lease on life. Don't tell anyone. And what's it say? He went out and he began to proclaim it so much so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the cities and people came to him from every direction. This one one man single-handedly made Jesus famous. We have some similarities with this leper. Like him, we had a terrible, deadly disease. Like him, we were touched uh, by Jesus and healed. And like him, we were forever changed. But that, that's where the, the similarities end. The differences are bigger because we had a far worse disease. We received a far greater healing, and we got a far more important command. He was told, don't go. We've been told, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. If this man who, who had a disease that was less severe than ours, a healing that was less significant, and a command that was less important and a negative one, he made Jesus famous. How much more should we who have been touched and saved and redeemed from hell for all eternity. Not only to know Him, not only to be known by Him, but also to make Him known. Brothers and sisters, listen, I understand that the nervousness and the anxiety that comes along with sharing the gospel. I still experience it. Like I said, Matt does. So does Ray Comfort. But the the good news is, is that we can, by God's grace, allow our compassion to swallow our fears. There's a saying that says when compassion exceeds our fears, progress begins. And you know the beautiful thing about it all is as much as you might struggle to share the gospel, as hesitant as you might be, as much as you have failed in it over the course of your life, the Bible says that God sympathizes with your weaknesses. Hebrews 4, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. Therefore, we can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So God calls you to that this morning. Don't let this message make you feel condemned. Let it stir your heart with encouragement that the God who gave you that purpose to know Him, be known by Him, and make Him known is the same God who has called you to understand that He sympathizes with you and that He can bring you through the most difficult times as you're trying to share the gospel. But the question is, is where do we where do we invest our heart and time and energy? Think of how many hobbies you have, how much knowledge you have about sports and politics and about recreational issues. And yet so often we have no understanding of how to communicate the gospel. It's not because we can't, it's because of where we're investing our heart and time and energy. And so in closing, I want to share with you some exciting divine convergence stories in my own life hopefully to stir you and excite you about the adventure that lies ahead for you. By God's grace, I get the privilege to travel all across the country in different parts of the world, sharing God's Word, much like I've been doing here this morning. And one of my favorite places to share the gospel is on airplanes. Because when you're 30,000 feet in the air and the person you're sharing Christ with 
doesn't like it, all you have to do is say to them, hey, there's a door. <laughs> and one time, Ray Comfort and I were traveling and coming back from a conference, and I get on the plane, I sit down, I look over to my left-hand side, there's this young man next to me named Kellen, who was about 18 or 19, and I strike up a conversation, and I share my testimony, share the gospel. He was very open, very receptive. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to give him a DVD of a movie that we just made called Audacity. I think this would be fitting for him. So I reach in my bag, I grab it, I pull it out, and I look, and I realize, oh no, I, I'd forgotten I'd brought, in another, I'd brought another DVD called Auda uh, the Genius about the life of John Lennon, one of the Beatles. And I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at him, I'm thinking, this guy has no idea who the Beatles are. But I already brought it out. I felt embarrassed to, you know, put it back. And I go, uh, have you ever heard of the Beatles? And he looks at me and his eyes go as wide as saucers. And he goes, oh my goodness, I'm a huge Beatles fan. No, I'm an insane Beatles fan. And I'm like, whoa, bro, let it be. Let it be. <laughs> all, all you need is love right now. Relax. And he, he goes, oh, you man, I can't believe this. I grew up listening to the Beatles. My brothers were huge fans. They got me into it. You produced this movie. Whoa! I mean, the guy was going crazy. In the meantime, Ray Comfort was a few rows ahead, and he was sitting next to a young lady who was in the Air Force and who was deathly, deathly afraid of flying. <laughs> yes, I said she's in the Air Force. I have no idea what we're churning out in our Air Force here in the United States. But, but, but Ray begins to, you know, reach out to her. Come to find she's of Jewish descent, Ray's of Jewish descent, as I shared earlier. And so he begins to tell her about the Jewish Messiah. And at the end of the conversation, he looks at her and he says, do you believe that Christ is the Messiah? And she looked at him and she said, now I do. Amen. And I thought, Lord, look at how sovereign you are. Some people need a little ray of hope. She needed a little ray of comfort, literally. <laughs> All five foot five of him. We get off the plane and I'm shaking my head. I felt like something wasn't right. And so I, I opened my phone and I look at our, our reservations and I realized that Ray and I were supposed to be sitting in seat 20A and 20B. We were supposed to be sitting right next to each other. But being the dunces that we are, we each checked in at separate kiosks. And so we were put in two different spots. Me sitting next to the insane Beatles fan with a Beatles DVD and Ray the Jew next to the young Jewish lady who needed to hear the gospel and needed a little ray of comfort. Friends, this is what we call divine convergence. Isn't that awesome? Our works were prepared beforehand. We were prepared for our good works, and God brought them together in a perfect point in time and space. And oh, what a glorious and joyous thing it was. Some time ago, I was on my way to Ohio to speak at a conference there, and I took my then young teenage son, Luke, with me. And in the course of our journey, we found ourselves going through one of the busiest airports in the United States of America. And after making it through security, which is often a miracle for this very innocent-looking Arab, <laughs> my son Luke points to the left-hand side and he goes, Dad, look, isn't that one of our ministry's million-dollar bill tracts? So I look to the left-hand side and I see this counter. Behind the counter were three police officers. And on the counter was this little metal card holder. And on it was this little rectangular-looking object. So I'm looking at it, I'm wiping my eyes, I'm walking over there like this, you know, which is not a good thing for an Arab to do in an airport, by the way. Hello, how are you? <laughs> not good. So I come up to the podium and I look, and I realize my son Luke was wrong. This was not one of our ministry's million-dollar bill tracts. It was an entire stack of our ministry's million-dollar bill gospel tracts. And I'm looking at this thing, and I'm just like in the twilight zone. What in the world? How did this get here? All of a sudden, one of the police officers starts to walk over to me, and he goes, uh, I go, excuse me, officer, I'm a bit confused. My ministry prints these. I have no idea how this got here. And he looks at me, and he goes, easy. And I go, ah! It was Ray Comfort. I had nothing to do with this. 
He goes, easy, I can't believe this is you. Oh, I love your ministry. And he starts going, and suddenly it starts to dawn on me. I go, excuse me, officer, did you put these tracts here? He goes, yeah. And I go, they haven't stopped you on thinking they haven't busted you yet? He goes, not yet. I remember thinking, it's coming. I was so blown away. I gave the officer my card. I said, please email me. I'd love to get in touch. So I come home and I find this email from this officer in my email, in my email box. He said, good morning, sir. As the subject line says, it was nice to meet you and your son yesterday at the airport. Yesterday was the first time I have ever set the tracts out at the law enforcement podium, even though the thought occurred to me a few years ago when I first learned of your ministry through a homeschool conference. When my two partners and I arrived at the podium yesterday, I pulled out the tracts and set them up. They were curious and read the tract, including the gospel message on the back. That then sparked a conversation that lasted several hours. I used info from Ray Comfort, Bodhi Bauckham, Ken Ham, and all the other info I've picked up from a variety of sources like the Bible. They were not getting it. They challenged me on everything from ancient aliens <laughs> to why are the Jews God's chosen people. Then you walked up and you looked like an ancient alien. <laughs> Easy phone home. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. Then you walked up. After you left, I had to explain who you were and the total improbability of you walking up at that moment. As one of my partners put it, it was like having an Amazon Kindle on display, talking about Amazon products, and then Jeff Bezos, CEO of Amazon, walking up. Using God's blessing of mobile internet, I showed them livingwaters.com, 180, Noah, God versus evolution, and whatever else was up on the screen. After a 10-hour shift of witnessing, I believe they will begin following Christ. How awesome is that? To think of it, that this man by God's grace, had enough love and care to do what he did on that day. And then you think of the improbability of something like that happening by chance. Of all the days we could have been traveling, it was that day. Of all the airports we could have gone through, and there were many in our area, it was that airport. Of all the, 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 the different security checkpoints we could have gone through, it was that one. Of all the different days over the course of a couple of years, he thought about putting those tracts out. It was that day. And of all the things he could have been doing when I walked up to that counter, he was sharing the gospel from one of my ministry's gospel tracts. If you don't believe in the existence of God, you have got problems. I know, brothers and sisters, the joy of being an instrument in the hand of God. You know, before I became a Christian, one of the worst things you could have said is, I was used. But as a Christian, there's no greater joy than to be able to say, I was used by the living God. You can imagine the, the, the joy of that day and all that God showed me in that divine convergence. As I was prepared for those good works, they were prepared for me, and only the divine hand of God could bring those things together for His glory. Do you know that there are opportunities like that waiting for you? They don't have to be that glamorous and, and, and that very divinely evident, but, but God is at work. Every soul needs the gospel, and you are His ambassador, saved, redeemed, bought by His blood. God wants to use you in indescribable ways. In closing, I want you to watch this video uh, of a very well-known famous man. His name is Penn Jillette. Penn Jillette is an atheist. Penn Jillette hates God's Word. He hates Christianity, blasphemes it at every turn. But I want you to hear what he said when someone came up to him at one of his events and tried to reach him with the gospel and gave him a Bible. Watch this. Wow. From the lips of an atheist, how much do you have to hate someone to know about the realities of heaven and hell? 
and never tell them. Ray had always wanted to share the gospel with Penn Jillette. He had a friend who was into magic. He knew Penn. He tried to set it up. It didn't work. Ray thought, Lord, maybe that's just not your will for me to do that. Then we were filming for one of our movies in D.C., and Ray was going to interview a famous atheist named Lawrence Krauss. And so we, we went to meet him at the hotel. We get out of the car, meet him, and then Lawrence says, hey, Ray, uh, this is my good friend, Penn Jillette. We walk up to the hotel room. Ray does an interview with Penn Jillette. He finishes, or with the Lawrence Krauss. He finishes, looks over at Penn and says, hey, Penn, I'd love to interview. Would you get in here thinking I could share the gospel with him? Penn said, no, no. Ray kept pushing. Penn said, no. Ray thought, oh, Lord, I guess it's not your will. We leave the hotel. We go down. We're about to get in our car when all of a sudden Penn Jillette walks out of the hotel room, walks up to Ray, and begins to ask him questions about Christ. Ray spent 30 minutes sharing the gospel with Penn Jillette. At the end, he reminded him of this video and of what he said. He said, Penn, I'm tackling you. Remember the story you told about a car coming for you? He said, I'm tackling you right now. That's what I'm doing. Ray finishes. Penn and his friend cross the street to go to their hotel across the way. We hear the loudest screeching of tires. We look up. We see Penn and his friend as white as ghosts, as white as sheets, standing there. Later on, he talked about it on the radio. He said, he said that the car was so close to hitting them, it actually hit his friend's pant leg. And Ray had just reminded him of that very analogy he gave in this. And I thought, oh, Lord, you're so good. <laughs> you're so good. Thank you for not killing him, but thank you for waking him up. And then get this, we find out later that that Bible that Penn talked about in that video that he was given, it was actually a Bible that our ministry produces called the Evidence Bible. This is what you call divine convergence. We're prepared beforehand for our good works. They're prepared for us. And God brings them together in a perfect point in time and space. And friends, I pray that'll be your heart's passion to say, God, I don't just want to know you. I just don't want to be known by you. But like that leper, I want to make you known so that Jesus is made famous across the earth. And the one thing that excites me today is that you are a part of a church that sees the importance of that. And we are about to commission to this calling a young man that I love very, very dearly. I was there the first day that Greg Sukert went out and shared the gospel on the streets. I was so blown away, and then I, I, I felt a little suspicious about how long he'd been a Christian, so I asked him, and he said, yeah, I've only been a Christian seven weeks. And I almost jumped out of my skin with excitement. I thought, this is, this is the leper that's been cleansed. He cannot help but tell people. Sorry to call you a leper there, Greg. But he cannot help but tell people about what Christ did for him. Nothing could stop him. And I'm so excited that you're going to have the opportunity to experience his leadership. Because like I said, we're often terrified, we're scared, we don't know what to do. And in Ephesians 4, Paul said this. He said, God gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for what? For the equipping of the saints, for what? For the work of ministry. And a part of that work of ministry is the ministry of reconciliation, which God has given you and the fulfillment of your calling as ambassadors of Christ. Greg is here to fulfill that calling and to be used as an instrument by God to help train you, to help get you equipped in order to do that. And I pray you'll do that. And with that, I'll invite Matt and Greg to come up. Thanks, brother. Oh, what a fun day. This is uh, a long time coming, and we've been excited about this for a while. Uh, so strategic to bring on an evangelist into our staff as one of the, the first hires of our future. And um, today we're going to bring Greg on here. In fact, I want to invite our elders to go ahead and come on up. Uh, the elders that are able to be here today, that are in the room, go ahead and come on the stage. We're going to pray over our brother Greg in just a minute. But this is our desire as a church. We have got to become externally focused. 
For a long time, we've been focusing internally. We've been focusing on things uh, to, to set us up for a great future, uh, starting with the IPM process, and that's, that was wonderful. And then uh, now we're looking forward. Now we are advancing as a church. And I still believe that our best days are still yet to come. And uh, we are excited about the Lord's laying a, a solid foundation. And uh, today we want to take another step of advance Greg is here to help us become externally focused, and as the director of evangelism and outreach, uh, we're really asking the Lord to use him to sort of infect all of us at Central Church uh, for a heart for evangelism and sharing our faith, because that's, that's when we get into a healthy church atmosphere. And he's already been on the uh, Memphis campus sharing uh, his faith. I don't know if you've seen several of those videos that have gone out where he's talking to people on the street, and we thought it'd be good to help him blend in. So we got him a good hat. What do you think about this? And so, Greg, welcome to the team. Welcome to the city. Share your heart for just a minute on evangelism. Tell us a charge of where we need to go next as, uh, as the director of evangelism and outreach. I love it. Thank you, church. Now I don't have to try so hard to blend in with my language. Hey, bro, want to hear the gospel? <laughs> this, is just a, this is just an overflowing day of joy for me because seven years ago, Easy was the first person to ever encourage me to share the gospel. And I wrote in my journal that night that the day was so impactful for me. I wrote this, I learned today that this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. God has saved me from much destruction, and I want to share His love with this hurting world. I want all to see His goodness and His life-changing power. I want to be an evangelist. And so here we find ourselves seven years later, that sweet desire that the Lord gave, now fulfilled, easy, the first person to help me share the gospel, a part of this service. I'm just overflowing with joy. And Director of Evangelism, wow! What a title. It's really an honor, and it's not an office that we see in many churches because when you look around, that's just not something that's a priority. But here at Central Church, the gospel is central. And we know that when we open up our Bibles to Ephesians 4, it's right there. It's one of the church offices that God gives for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So what am I called to do here? What is the one thing that I want to impart with my time here at Central Church? Here's what I want to impart. The call to witness is the call to worship. The call to witness is the call to worship. Beloved, every Sunday we proclaim the majesty of God. We sing of His wondrous deeds. We sing of God creating us and recreating us in Jesus Christ. We listen to our pastor esteem the glory of God. We listen to him plead to us regarding our desperate need for Christ. And we listen to him exhort us to walk in the power of the Spirit. And this stirs up great worship in our hearts. But the worship must not stop there. It must carry into the ears of your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, and to the uttermost parts of the world. The whole purpose of evangelism is worship. Missions exists because worship doesn't. And evangelism is the ongoing worship of God, proclaiming what He has done through His precious Son, Jesus Christ. Beloved, we are living inconsistently when on Sunday we proclaim and praise God's great salvation, and then we fail to proclaim and praise that great salvation throughout the week. 
The call to witness is the call to worship. And it is the desire of Central Church's elders and leadership that God would use this position to stir up a devotion for Christ that is so full that it floods our cities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This means that I am your servant to do whatever I can to encourage you, to equip you, to be intentional to share the gospel with the short time we have in this life. And there are three things that I'm devoted to. The first, I'm devoted to serving and loving Christ by abiding in his word. The second thing I'm devoted to is serving Christ by serving my wife, my precious Brianna, God's blessed gift to me, my primary ministry. And the third thing that I'm committed to doing is to serve Christ by serving you, And this includes evangelism classes, outreach opportunities, resources to help you, such as books, tracts, and other media resources, and also leadership that leads by example. That's why I've been sharing the gospel with students on camera. I want you to see my commitment to the gospel and the unprecedented joy and worship that floods the heart of the Christian who regularly shares the glory of the gospel. The call to witness is the call to worship. And that being said, there are two things that I'm asking of you. The first is that you would make God's word central. Regularly feast in the bounty and the treasures of God's word because a word of scripture will never depart your mouth unless it is first implanted in your heart. So feast, abide in God's word. The second thing that I'm asking you to do is to make God's people central by gathering, by gathering here This is a strange time. Millions of people are hurting more than they ever have, but we must not let these circumstances distract us from our purpose to proclaim the greatness of our God, to proclaim the gospel. There are far too many professing Christians who have not gathered to worship God and to fellowship with his people since March. And I recognize that some people are genuinely vulnerable to all that's going on. I'm not addressing this audience. But however, There are many who have separated themselves from the people of God because they have allowed fear to grip their hearts. They have spent far too long looking at the sensational headlines of our day and far too little time looking at the glories of Jesus Christ and the necessity to proclaim his gospel. And most tragically, there are professing Christians who have just gotten far too comfortable. To these audience, I say, it's time to stop. It's time to get on mission. It's time to take our eyes off the world to turn our eyes to Jesus Christ. People are imprisoned in our sins, in their sins, because we are imprisoned in our homes. If we're not proclaiming the gospel that will free people from their sins, then who will? That is our calling. That is our pleasure and our privilege. If we're not willing to gather together on Sundays to worship God, why should we expect others in our community to become worshipers of God through Jesus Christ? We can wear masks all we want, but do not mask our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are a people of purpose, and the call to witness is the call to worship. And practically speaking, friends, I know evangelism is hard. It's something that Christians struggle with. The flesh hates the uncomfortable feeling of witnessing. Therefore, we need to flood ourselves with the primary means by which we die to ourselves and live unto Christ. And that is God's Spirit working through God's Word and God's Spirit working through God's people. Make God's Word central. Make God's people central. Get on mission and let us watch our great God together do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think 
the call to witness is the call to worship. I am so thankful to be here with you all to worship our great God and the salvation that he bestows through Jesus Christ alone. Amen. That was awesome. I feel like I got two sermons today. That was awesome. I needed that shot in the arm. Let's, let's go take the hill, amen? I, that, I, look, now you see why we brought him here. There is an infectious passion. That's what we want. Uh, one of the great needs of Central Church is to get back. Uh, once upon a time, we were so externally focused as a church, we were doing things no other church was doing. We're going to get back to those days. We're going to reach our city, amen? So let's take the city and let's get focused. Let's get on mission. Amen. We are going to commission this brother. As elders, we're going to reach over him. I'm going to break COVID rules and just put my hand on his shoulder, and EZ is going to pray. Brianna, go ahead and come on up here. We want to pray over them as a family. Uh, if you would, would you, let's stand to our feet. And would you reach out an arm, and we're going to just pray over him as a church. And you who are online, we want to encourage you to pray over this brother as well. Let's ask the Lord to do a great work through the ministry that has been prepared for Greg to walk in and for all of us to walk in. Let's do that now. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for my brother Greg, and I just pray over him right now that, that you would use him in a mighty way for the people of God to engage in the mission that you have given us. Father, the American church has become slow. The American church has become weak and anemic. The, where, the American church has become sort of lost for purpose, as my brother EZ spoke about. What, it, what are we purposed for? What are we supposed to be doing? Lord, the mission is clear. You have given us the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you sent your son to die on the cross, bearing the weight, bearing the, the wrath that we deserved for our sins. And, and he, being perfectly righteous, died in our place. We are to take the message of the gospel to a dying world that will one day stand before you. And we're to tell them that all their sins can be washed away through the blood of Jesus Christ who died for our sins. That Jesus, perfect Jesus, died for our sins in our place. That whosoever would repent and believe might have the righteousness of Christ. And we know that that's true because Jesus rose from the dead. So, Father, I pray that that message goes out from this church starting today like never before. I pray over my brother Greg that you'd give him the grace, that you'd give him an ability to equip, uh, that, that, that streams of disciples would come out of this ministry, streams of evangelists would come out of this ministry, taking the gospel to our city, reaching the people uh, of Collierville, reaching the people of Memphis. And Lord, I pray that that would spread into missions. Lord, we want to be a missional church. Amen. So, Father, you do this. Please, we, we beg you, we plead for you to do what only you can do, Lord. We know this is in line with your will. We know this is what you want. So, Father, we pray in line with your will. And we say, Lord, we are willing, your servants, please do this. Father, we love you. We pray for great things in the days to come. And may your blessing go from this place over our brother Greg, over his wife, Brianna. Bless them in Jesus' name. Use them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.